Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, as we continue our series in that uh, book of the Scriptures, and really are just the other side of uh, David's uh, sin with uh, Bathsheba and also against Uriah. And as we're seeing the impact of that, the consequences, if you will, the results uh, of that in a really a, a sad series of, of uh, chapters here, but some chapters that we can really learn from. And, and today, folks, is one of those passages, once again, that you, you may be curious about the method to our madness of, of occasionally and, and often, as a matter of fact, going through the, the scriptures book by book, uh, chapter by chapter and working through from, you know, Second Samuel 11 to 12 to 13. Uh, here today is an example of one of the reasons we do that. And that is that I would probably never choose to pat, to preach on this particular passage if it wasn't the next thing in the series. So, again, it's a, a beautiful opportunity for us to be accountable, for me to be accountable to faithfully preaching through God's word, even the tough parts, the parts that we really don't want to hear. And yet, as I looked at these verses this week and prepared for today, I was reminded how pertinent these verses are. If not the particular sin issue that's highlighted here, the the issue of family dysfunction, whatever we call it, drama, family sin, family breakdown, and how that uh, plays out in our lives is one that absolutely resonates with each one of us. It may not have played out or circled up in the same way that these verses identify, but we all deal with it. And it's it's interesting, this uh, last week, as you know, we had uh, Alton Hardy guest pastor last week because I was out of town visiting extended family. First time in two years we've been able to been up to be up to central Pennsylvania and in particular to see my uh, my aging grandmother, uh, 92. And it was great to be able to to see her and spend time with the extended family. But it, it's interesting, isn't it? Being around family, whether they're right here in town and you got to see them on Memorial Day weekend or you have to travel a distance to uh, to go see them. I, I, I may have mentioned a few months ago that we discovered recently that my great, great grandfather was father of the year. He lived in a farm in central Pennsylvania, father of the year in ni- late 1940s. We, we probably should have had the, the wives, his, his first wife who passed away and his second wife, re- received the Mother of the Year Award because he had, uh, I believe, nine children by the first wife and nine by the second one. So it's interesting being up in central PA, the Peters name's a little more common. The boys had their little jerseys on from some of their sports, and we literally had people walk up to us on the street and say, hello, you know, we're part of the Peters kinfolk part of the Peters extended household, and there were people we'd never met before, didn't know anything about, but that are connected. You know, so, so families can kind of be, can, can be a positive thing in that way. You meet people you didn't even know. You've got connections you didn't even realize. Uh, families can be encouraging that way. And, and I'm thankful for the positive legacy that, that uh, God's blessed me with, I feel, from my family. And at the same time, as we look and even get together as extended family, or maybe even think about our immediate family. Sin's there, isn't it? We've all got the stories we'd love to brush under the rug. The things that people talk about just in a little whispering side conversation because nobody wants to really bring them up in front of 
everybody and talk about them. And maybe we're the person that's been a victim of one of those things. Maybe we're the person that's been the perpetrator, so to speak. Whatever those issues are for many of us, and even as I begin to talk about that, family sin and family brokenness, it's a heavy thing. It brings things to our mind and to our hearts that are that are tough for us to think about. And, and so as we look at the verses today, on the one hand, I think there's encouragement in the fact that, hey, there's nothing new under the sun. We're not the first people in your family or in my family to deal with brokenness and even severe sin in family that it really affects everybody. And and likewise, because we're not the first ones that have ever dealt with that, God God can actually handle it. God can do a redeeming work, bring a redeeming family, a redeemed family to us. And it may not look the way we think it would, but he's doing that work. So all of that by way of introduction to these uh, verses today. And as we even wrestle with that brokenness and look to the hope of a redeemed uh, family, perhaps in various ways in this life and certainly in the next life, I invite you to turn uh, with me to these passages, these verses, and I think you'll figure out uh, pretty quickly that Absalom and uh, Tamar are related in the same, you know, biological family, and that Amnon appears to be from another line from one of David's other wives. It's interesting how much we know about them, but they actually don't know exactly how everybody's connected. But that's the uh, that's the idea here, and I will. I'm skipping a few parts for sake of time but also for the uh, young ears in here to maybe make it a little bit uh, go go even further over the, the head than it might otherwise. So read along with me, Second uh, Samuel chapter 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill. Because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. And so we read in the verses that he proceeded to do that. Jump with me on down to verse 11. He carries out this plan given to him by Jonadab. Verse 11 says this. But when she brought them near to him to eat, that's the food she was preparing, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and he, being stronger, violated her. Then verse 15, then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had 
loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. And then jumping to verse 19 to 22, uh, on with me, it says this. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. She laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And then in the remaining part of the passage, we read how Absalom conspires to kill Amnon and indeed does kill him. And then in the last part of the chapter, verse 37, says, But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, heavy, heavy things to read from your word. And yet, Lord, as we've already acknowledged encouraging words, In the sense, Lord, that we know there's nothing new under the sun. The uh, brokenness and the pain and the issues that, if we're honest, and uh, if we have a typical family, uh, are there. Maybe just below the surface. Maybe they uh, are above the surface. Father, that um, these things or things like them have uh, happened before. They are no surprise to you. Uh, nevertheless, we're saddened by them, Lord. We're sobered to their reality. And at the same time, we desire to be uh, soothed, to be comforted by the reminder of your grace that you are working your redemptive work in and for our families, our families of origin and our families of faith. Pray that you would help us to see that hope today. In Jesus name. Amen. Chuck Swindoll writes uh, this in a book about the life of David, about the matters that take place in, in these verses today. And I thought it was pretty relevant for us, perhaps. He presents a little contrast here. He says, a family in trouble is a common occurrence, but it's never a pretty picture. There are two kinds of trouble that a family can experience. Trouble that comes from without and trouble that comes from within. Though both can be devastating for a family, the more difficult of the two is trouble from within. When the clammy fingers of death take their tyrannical toll on our lives and bring pain to our hearts, the trouble comes from without. A fire can burn a house to the ground or a flood can wash it off its foundation, causing struggles that are hard to bear. But I found that those kind of external troubles often pull a family together rather than separate them. Not so when troubles come from within. Trouble from, trouble from within comes in the form of pressure, tension, 
abuse, neglect, unforgiveness, bitterness, heartbreaking hatred, and all the other difficulties that accompany a life when parents walk in the flesh or act foolishly or when children respond in rebellion and disagreement, disharmony. When there's friction between a husband and wife or between parent and child, that's a lot harder to bear than external struggles, especially when it's the consequences of someone's sin in the family. I think that's true. I don't know if you would agree, but I think that's true. And again, we've probably all experienced whatever we like to call it, right? We sort of jokingly say, I got a lot of drama in my family. Or maybe we like to put the little psychological spin on it and say, we've got some dysfunction, right? <laughs> Code word for the wheels are falling off of the extended family, even if they're not in our immediate family. Uh, of course, the Bible just calls it simply a sin. And here's the main idea. I don't think there's an outline in your back of your worship guide today, but if you want to jot some thoughts down, some notes down, is, the, is this. Since there's nothing new under the sun... Regarding the brokenness of our families, we should look to God for a renewed family. Since there's nothing new under the sun regarding the brokenness of our families, we should look to God for a renewed family. How do we begin to do that? Well, as I said before, as we walk through these verses, I think we'll see sort of three concepts play out across the board. One is that it's just sad, right? You can't read these verses without just... Being a bit depressed, this is a sad incident to read about. It's sad. It's uh, sobering, right? It's a stark reminder, as we've seen already with David and so forth, of the implications of what happens when we turn away from the Lord. It it yields something, right? We, We reap what we sow, and David's family is reaping part of what he sowed. Now, he's had... Uh, He's turned to God, David has, and he's sought forgiveness and he's received God's mercy and he's turned to him with a contrite heart. And so he's restored in his relationship with the Lord. But and and that's beautiful. That's wonderful. But as we've probably all experienced in our lives, we can go through that process and truly desire to walk afresh with the Lord and have his love and grace. And at the same time, there's still the consequences, the impact of the actions we've taken. And this is just one part of that that's that's playing out. So it's sobering in that way. And then I was looking for a third S, so forgive me, but it's soothing. <laughs> it's soothing in the sense there's some comfort that we can take from this in that, again, there's, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, okay? So the things that we think that nobody else has happened in their family is happening in other people's families probably right around us here today. I can guarantee you it is because I've... I got the role of being able to talk with some folks about that. And I know what happens in my own uh, family. Uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of things there. So it's soothing in that way that we're not alone in reading this in the scriptures. And then it's also ultimately soothing in the fact that there's there's hope. There's hope in the Lord. There's hope for redemption. Uh, a redeemed family, we'll call it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, the first thing we see here by way of some application, though, from the passage is, is it's interesting to see how this plays out, even with, uh, with Amnon, if we can take a moment to sort of pick this apart. Now, I don't know if you remember the old uh, 80s movie Ghostbusters. Remember Ghostbusters? What was the, what was the little mantra of Ghostbusters? Who are you going to call, right? Who are you going to call Ghostbusters? And they would come to the rescue. 
Well, these verses remind us that, and it's really important who we call. Uh, Amnon decides to seek advice from this character, Jonadab. Again, we can't, we won't trace out all the family line, but at any rate, he's part of the family. But it even says here it's crafty. The scriptures use that word to describe the devil, the evil one. That's a pretty designated term. So he's crafty. And, you know, you know, you think about sometimes you've had a family uh, loss of a loved one. And maybe all that's at stake in terms of an inheritance is a couple of knickknacks and a few pieces of furniture or something. And, and you've seen how family can just tear one another apart over something like that. We've got David with the family is a polygamous relationship that the scriptures did not condone for the king. So that's bearing, bearing fruit, so to speak. And, and you have all of these family members that are vying for David's role and power and influence and wealth and all of those things. So imagine the stakes raised when it's not just knickknacks and a few pieces of furniture. So he's working some kind of angle and Amnon goes to this guy to get advice and the advice he gives is basically to go ahead, pursue your, you know, your passion, pursue what you feel like you want right now, regardless of the consequences. You should you should have that. He even addressed him. You notice how he speaks to him. He says, son of the king. And just like we saw with David, that David's got this uh, propensity in the role that he has to think, oh, well, I, I've got a right to this. I've got a right to pursue these things. Uh, Jonadab's pursuing the same angle with with uh, Amnon. So it's a reminder for us, and really it's a fascinating contrast then to look at this compared to uh, Tamar. Look at verse 13 with me. I mean, the situation that Tamar in is exceedingly disturbing as, uh, as her brother is approaching her in this way. Again, I guess it would be a stepbrother, half-brother, however you would put it. But look at verse uh, 12 and 13. First of all, she says, hey, don't, don't do this thing. This is wrong. So she's giving good counsel to Amnon, even as she's about to be the victim of this situation. And then verse 13, she lays it out for him. She says, there's going to be shame to this. People are going to uh, remember this. Uh, She even goes as far as to say, and again, we know in these uh, royal families, there were sometimes marriages made between cousins and so forth to keep the family line going. We're familiar with that. She says, look, maybe... Maybe that can be pursued in a, in a legitimate way, so to speak. He doesn't listen. So Amnon's a fascinating sort of study within the overall context of this passage of somebody who's seeking counsel and listening to Jonadab, to bad advice, instead of seeking counsel and sound words. You know, one of the blessings that the Lord gives us is people, hopefully in the body of Christ, maybe they're in our small group, maybe they're in our men's or women Bible studies, whatever, that we can seek out, that are walking with the Lord and that we're getting advice from. And the contrast, of course, is the danger of getting advice from those who aren't walking in step with the Lord as Jonadab. It's interesting that even in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul invited some of those that he was speaking to to listen and hear to see if what he was saying was in alignment with the scriptures. If the Apostle Paul was willing to say, hey, check me on this, then you and I ought to be careful, too, about where we're getting our understanding and our advice. So who are you going to call? The first thing we see there. The second thing we see 
is, uh, is this, you know, how, how low can we go? How low can we go? And again, the Bible tells us pretty low. This is a pretty sad event to see take place. And, and it's an invitation for you and me today to say about those painful things in our family, you know, how do we bring those to the Lord? How do we bring forgiveness and reconciliation where it might come instead of just brushing them under the rug? Uh, we had I had a conversation with a family member while we were in this extended family gathering about a very serious and damaging issue in our family. And and it was interesting to talk about it and to just try to say, hey, we, we know this exists now. It's out there. Where are we going? Is there is there forgiveness? Has there been a apology made? Has there been reconciliation? Maybe for some of us, our role is sort of that peacemaker role. Maybe we're the one that's dished it out. And our role is to be the one to seek forgiveness from our family or extended family. Maybe you're sitting here today, and I, I guarantee you in a group this big, this story is not unfamiliar, even in its particulars. For some folks here, men and women, and, and, and maybe that that has got to come to light in some kind of context, maybe with a counselor, maybe with a trusted confidant or a pastor or whoever. But the, the invitation is here to, to grapple with the brokenness and not just brush it under the rug. It's in the Bible. It's brought to light there. There's health and there's growth from bringing it to light for ourselves as well. So how low can we go? It's it's pretty, pretty low. And so we can own that in our own families, our own lives. The third thing we see here that I find really interesting, again, from a sort of general application of these verses, is how Amnon responds to this situation. It's interesting to see what happens with us when we get the idol that we think we want. Now, we mentioned a few weeks ago that whether you're looking at David and his particular pursuit of sin, you know, and looking at that, mapping that on to different areas of your life. For you, maybe it's that promotion or that status at work. Maybe it's that reputation with your friends and that good approval with those who are around you. Uh, maybe it's that material thing that you think you want, that next house, that next car that's going to you think is going to bring satisfaction. Maybe it's, you know, again, really good things like our kids success or achievement. Ah, that's going to if that will just happen, I will be satisfied. Right. It doesn't have to be of the nature that, that the sort of illicit or obviously illicit nature of what Amnon pursues. But look at what happens to him when he gets what he thinks he wants. Uh, it talks about it here in verse 15. Right after this takes place, again, at the beginning of the passage, he feels like he cannot live w- without this. Um, it says it seemed impossible, you know, to survive without this, basically saying. In verse 15, it says Amnon hated her with a great hatred so that the hatred with, with, he, with which he hated her, it's hard to even read. It says hatred four or five times here. What's the point, folks? The point is that, man, those idols are so deceiving. 
They look so good. They're going to provide for us all what we what we need. It's like Gollum with his ring. You know, this thing is going to be my precious. And the whole time it's turning him into a creature that he would never want to be. So, too, for us. And and when that thing uh, doesn't ultimately provide the satisfaction, remember, we believe that ultimately the Lord is our satisfaction. He's our delight. He's our joy. He's the only one that can really fill us up in the deep places of our soul. And so whenever we take anything in this life, whatever it is, and try to invest it and squeeze out of it what we think we need, instead of getting that from God, then it's ultimately hopeless. And I'll tell you what happens. We can notice it. And you ask yourself this question sometimes when you're in the midst of feeling angry. And I get angry and you get angry and so forth. But he's angry here. Hatred is the word he used. You know, I've said this before. It's like that dashboard on the car. The, the signal light showing up there indicates something that's going on inside the hood. The signal light is not the thing. So, sure, anger is a problem. And we also, ah, I shouldn't have been so angry. Why? You know, I should, have, I should apologize for my anger. But the bigger question for us to ask is, is that anger there because of some idol? That I've got that's not living up to my satisfaction is that part of why I'm so angry right now. Amnon was angry because ultimately this thing that he thought was going to be so great didn't live up to it. Well, folks, all of this so far is not a real pretty picture. So let me give us some encouragement and and hope as we wrap up our time uh, looking at God's word uh, today. It's interesting to see what God can do by his grace and mercy to work, one, within our biological families, and two, to give us a, a redeemed family. Okay, One, God's doing a work, may, maybe a big part of what he's doing in you. And I don't know if you've ever sensed it when you've got together at family gatherings, but some of our family gatherings, both on my side and on Patience's side, there's some people that are, you know, engaged with the Lord and seeking the Lord. But there's a lot of folks who aren't, who it's not a priority or they're decidedly against it. And you feel that tension walking in and you realize, OK, I don't want to be preachy. I don't want to just be here and you know, be the prophet to the family, but at the same time, maybe that's what God's, part of what God's saved me for, is so that I could seek to be salt and light in my extended family. So one of the things that you and I can, can begin to realize, I hope, from a passage like this is that brokenness that we'd like to keep under the rug, maybe again we can be a vessel of peacemaking, maybe we can be a vessel of hope, and sharing what the hope is that we have in Christ. And really that leads us to the other part of having a redeemed family. We, we have a church family that we're connected with here in this life. And we know that family's flawed and broken too, is not perfect. But ultimately, this family here, or the family globally of believers in Christ, is a pointer ahead to a perfected family that we're going to enjoy in the new heavens, in the new earth. That these kind of things that we read here in this passage and that really cause our stomach to turn, maybe bring up some really painful things in our lives, are ultimately pointers to the hope that we can have in Christ of a restored family. You know, it's interesting, and I'll close with this. I don't know if you all have had this experience of 
maybe being in another culture or maybe being on a mission trip. Uh, I know I've experienced it in other countries traveling on a mission trip. And I've got family members. My, my, my sister, my younger sister, I saw for the first time in five years face to face this last uh, week. So there is not like ongoing anger or tension, but there is just great separation. So that's kind of just where I am on this, this thing. And we do not have a lot of connection in terms of what we think and believe about life. So it's interesting when I go on a mission trip or I'm in another culture or maybe you could you could go to another church here in Birmingham or you could go to another uh, culture's church of people who look uh, very different maybe than we are. Maybe you're a, a different uh, segment or part of society and go into that setting. And I've seen it on a mission trip where you go to a country like Peru and you're with people that don't even speak the same language as you. They'd probably have very different upbringing and story. They have a different, a different country that they live in, and yet there's a connection there because of who Christ is in our lives. Because we have both recognized that we're sinners, that we need Jesus, that we can have salvation and hope in him. We're connected through that, that we have this family connection. And this will sound crazy, but maybe you've, you've felt it. I have a closer connection in some ways to a person I've never met before that speaks a different language, that comes from a different culture, that lives in another country, and who knows and loves and is seeking Jesus than I do to my younger sister. And that's on the one hand a sad thing for our biological family, but it's a hopeful thing. And that God's doing his work of giving us a redeemed family. He's going to give us a perfected one in his glory and in his purposes in the life to come. All these things we have. Because of the blessing of Jesus, who is gracious enough to even call us and number us among his family as his children. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do your work through your word today. Uh, these verses probably impacting different people here in a variety of ways. And we just ask that you would... Bring your transforming power, bring your salvation, that even if there are things we need to wrestle through or go deep into or own or things that need to be released or forgiven or restored, that you would enable us to walk that journey, that you'd enable us to love one another as the body of Christ, and that you would really enable us to be salt and light in the families you placed us in. Uh, even in the midst of our brokenness and sin, that we would see Jesus uh, shining and that we would lay hold of that ultimate hope of our heavenly family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.